Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. I'm Jared Zanto, managing editor of Changelog.com. On this episode, we shine our maintainer spotlight on Tobias Coppers from Webpack. This episode continues the maintainer spotlight series where we dig deep into the life of an open source software maintainer. We're producing this series in partnership with Tidelift. Huge thanks to them for making it possible. If you haven't heard of Tidelift, they are the first managed open source subscription that pays the maintainers of the exact projects that you're using while giving you the commercial support you've been looking for. Okay, here's Tobias. All right, we are joined by Tobias Coppers. Uh, Thanks for coming on Maintainer Spotlight, Tobias. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. So y'all may not know Tobias's name. Maybe you do, but you definitely know what he is. The creator of Webpack, which is the build solution for modern web applications. And Tobias working on Webpack full time. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. How long has that been? Since three years or so, I think. Yeah. So that's what we would sometimes call living the dream. And then sometimes the guest laughs and sometimes they agree. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a dream, Tobias? I think it's a dream. It's, it's, it's really cool because you can work at home, be your own boss, don't have pressure, don't have deadlines, yeah. can decide what you want to do. I think it's, it's really great. It's like, like self-employed, but without customers. Or without, yeah. um, like, we, we have customers, but it's more like we, it's more an indirect customer. Also. Right. It's very vague. Who is yeah being your boss today right <laughs> it might be someone in issues it might be somebody on twitter it might be you what's some of your background i guess to if you're living the dream as an open source developer you know leading webpack what was some of your career history like what did you walk away from to do this yeah so i'm studied computer science and then worked for a c-sharp developer in hardware related stuff and yeah, so um, uh, I started Webpack uh, as part of also a side project to my master thesis. So I'm kind of only worked for a short period, like on a real company, and then I open source. So it's funny that you say you don't have cu- customers because if you look on your GitHub repo, <laughs> Webpack has 4.1 million dependent repositories. I mean, to say it's arrived or reached critical mass would be a a massive understatement. 53,000 GitHub stars, over 4 million dependent repos on GitHub alone. It's also got to the point where it's reached so much usage that people are very willing to criticize it, complain about it, make memes. I'm guilty of, of a few memes, although they're always in good fun. And I'm just curious if at this stage of Webpack's career and your career, does the public opinion of Webpack, the, some of the complaints, some of the criticisms or the jokes, do those get to you personally or do you not care about that? I don't care that much about them. I, I, I think it's because it's so large, then you always get negative feedback. And right. um, yeah, it's like you get very few positive feedback because nobody says positive stuff about something 
yeah, it's, you get more negative feedback than positive feedback, I think, especially on Twitter or on, on other platforms. But mm-hmm. I, I tend to ignore the negative feedback or not take it personally, more take it as ideas, what we can improve or what can be done better. How do you accomplish that? Because this is something you work on all the time. And so something that happens is when you dedicate a lot to something is you can begin to identify like I'm the web pack guy. I think of, I always think of Daniel Stenberg who like curl is his life. And he said like, this is his life's work is curl. He identifies very closely. And so I'm curious if you don't identify yourself as like the web pack guy, or if you just have thick skin and the criticisms brush off, how do you not focus on the criticisms? Yeah, I think I, I identify as this webpack as it's it's like my yeah. my baby, so right. it's kind of yes, but I'm not the guy who takes it um, seriously that the negative feedback is bad or yeah. So often it's more like out of frustration they say something bad and I have the ability to ignore this or I yeah I don't know. Mm-hmm. Difficult that's a blessing say. right there to be able to do that. Some people can't let it go. And so I think that's a, it's a great characteristic trait but for the position that you're in. To be able to let that slide off your back or not affect you is got to be helpful. I think so, yeah. <laughs> what about the other side? So when you receive that much criticism, like you said, it's because there's just so many people using your software. Like I said, 4 million de- dependent repos. Everybody uses Webpack either in love or in anger, wherever they are. Does the sheer magnitude of Webpack's influence on our industry and the, um, the amount of users you have, does that weigh heavy on your shoulders? <laughs> Asking difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're here for. We're curious. We're yes, curious. yes, the curious is... He's like, I never thought about it. Now I'm starting to feel like it. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm, I'm more proud of um, that what Webpack has about the influence that Webpack has on the, the industry, we, um, we kind of made some decisions and they led to industry standard like the mm-hmm. code splitting example or on-demand loading. In 2012, we started with uh, on-demand loading of um, parts of the application and it took like five years until this became mainstream. And I think it's, I'm pretty proud that this is something I started to, to, um, to engage or to, to um, promote and uh, this com- industry standard and are, uh, similar for other things and like CSS modules or, um, as part of the module graph or something like that. I think we had a lot of influence and I, I think it's cool to influence what the people or the community like or what the, the ecosystem is about. So it's, it's like coolness to be this, have the standing like influencing the, the whole JavaScript community. Absolutely. And well-deserved influence, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think about doing this kind of work and I just think like, what motivated you to, I guess, you know, the sheer size of Webpack, its influence is one thing, but what motivated you to want to do it full time? You know, was it just simply Webpack? Was it this lore of this lifestyle? What made you want to do this? Yeah. Before I started full-time, I worked like 10 hours per week on Webpack, so like part-time or something like that. And I, it was more work than I, more work involved than I could do in the free time I have or in the part-time with having a, a real job. So at 
this time, John started like um, collecting money to Open Collective and trying to fund the, the Webpack project. And my contract ended, and I decided to not uh, continue to working on this full t- on, on my existing job. And it was a risky step, but I, I tried to work at least a few months um, from the, the existing money of, of the Webpack Collective to. I try to work a um, few months full time to make progress. More, more features. Webpack two was at this time active. So yeah, I started to with a, with the idea of only working a few months. But um, it took on, and we got more funding. So I liked working on Webpack full time, and so I just continued <laughs> working on that. Mm. It was a risky step because at this time we had only money to fund me about a few, I think, five or six months. I was about quitting my job and risking mm-hmm. and I have a family and I got a baby at this time. But I think it was a good idea and a good step to do this and work full time on this. And I think I made a lot of progress and brought a webpack forward with working more on this and yeah. And hearing the behind the scenes on that is, is really interesting because, as you had said, you know, you have a baby, so you got a lot of responsibility. And it sounds like you were the first funded person to do Webpack full time, which I'm assuming that since that time you've been fully funded by Webpack. And I guess part of me is kind of curious, how do you get paid? Is it, you know, once per month? You know, who cuts the check? How does that work for you, for you all? Yeah, it once per month and uh, it's a bill is paid by Open Collective. So it's like we're collecting money to Open Collective and in once a month I decide who got to get how much amount of money. It's like automatic uh, depending on contribution on, on GitHub. Yeah. So I pay myself and I pay the other contributors. Basically, I pay myself a, a fixed rate and the other contributors get money depending on the contributions they made. So it's kind of depending how much they do by month. Um, yeah, so it's, that's how it's working. So you've been full-time for three years, and Webpack's budget has continued to increase. I believe it's around 500000 annual estimated, according to the current Open Collective. Have you gotten a raise? Under what? Have you ever gotten a raise? Like, you ever paid yourself more money? Like, year two, I'm doing a good job, giving <laughs> myself a raise? Uh, it's not that much that we have. It's more like, and we get about the money monthly, which you need to pay all the contributors. So it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of in an equal situation currently. It's like with Tivago sponsoring us a lot, it's more like we have like 2000 a month extra we can save. But I also think it's important to make some kind of savings for the future if some sponsors go away or whatever happens, mm-hmm. then that you can pay the contributors I pay myself um, for longer than the sponsors are there. It's kind of more long-term investment into the future. Also, it also makes sense from from sponsor perspective because most sponsors want to have a long-term support kind of idea. So it's it's also for the project itself a good idea to make some long-term guarantee. Yeah. We definitely want to dive deeper into, at some point, I guess, the value add for those brands who sponsor Webpack. Mm-hmm. 
for sure more deeply, but I'm kind of curious if you would say that you feel like you've sacrificed quite a bit to be a part of Webpack, would you consider what you're doing a sacrifice? Mm. I don't think it's a sacrifice. It's more like I want to work on this and I do it for fun and for my work, for my job. So it's, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess the reason, let me, let me frame the question a little differently yeah. because the reason why I'm asking you this is not to say, to give you a chance to say, oh yes, I sacrificed greatly for the community. They should love me. It's more like, you know, there's so much that happens in open source because of people who truly care. And often they're doing these things in sacrifice and not knowing they're actually sacrificing. And I say that because there's so much in open source that happens because of goodwill, not a direct Tobias puts out work, Tobias gets dollars to survive himself, his family, to provide, to invest in his future, plan for retirement, et cetera. Like there's so many things that layer into people's careers and lives and how they accumulate wealth etc. To, to just live there and enjoy their life. And I ask you that because I see a lot of sacrifice in open source. And I would, from my perspective, say that it seems you've sacrificed. Yeah, I, I also see it often that most maintainers or most open source projects basically living from the maintainers and it's more like they don't get the funding or the energy that's worth the work they do. But I I hope that Webpack is at least a little bit better that we pay our contributors, we pay myself, so it's mm-hmm. it's probably not what you maybe not worth what's, we, maybe the contributors or also myself don't get what's worth the work, but I think it's at least we get enough to make it not a sacrifice. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably, mm-hmm. probably get more if you're working for a company in the industry I think if you want to get rich, then don't work for open source. Right. But right. Uh, at least it's you get something back, and it's not totally worthless work. It's well, that's the thing. There, there are people in open source that are getting rich too. That's certainly <laughs> happening out there, right? They're not sacrificing. And it's also this opportunity cost. This opportunity cost comes into to thoughts like, well, you've, you're doing this, and you're costing yourself an opportunity op- option elsewhere. Yeah. I think I would frame it as a trade-off versus a sacrifice because, like Tobias said at the beginning, he's working on something he loves. He has right. a massive amount of influence in an in- industry that he cares about. He gets to create his own work day. So there's a lot of things that he gets as being where he is. Maybe he's sacrificing on salary, but he's receiving benefit on something that's potentially more important to him. Not, not putting words in your mouth, but I think that that's how I look at it. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out because as we do this show, we're thinking, okay, there are other future maintainers or current maintainers out there that are like, yeah, I just need a tribe. I need somebody to cling to. And Tobias has got some wisdom. He's done this thing. He's he's stepped off in these ways. And yeah, it's like, you know, how do I do those things with some assurances as well? How, how do I have a frame of reference for my future and open source thinking about the listeners listening to the show? Right. So Webpack is unique insofar as it has gained a substantial amount of financial backing yeah which many projects never reach that so many open source maintainers like you said adam they struggle to reach at least financial sustainability for their projects and webpack has has gotten there now there comes with other problems we'll get into those but tobias in your eyes you know like i said a five hundred thousand dollar estimated annual budget according to like the current sponsors and all that kind of stuff so not an insignificant amount of money like you said, maybe not as much 
money has value that Webpack's bringing, not yeah. argue that it's really low. But in your eyes, how did you get here? How did you, the team of Webpack, get to this place where you have large corporations sponsoring you in substantial sums? What got you here? I would say John got us here. He started all the ideas about going to companies that are saying on conference that we need sponsors. And I also think we have we had a good timing because the community or the ecosystem and the company is starting to invest more in open source and care about open source. And I think the mentality of companies changed in the last time and they are more uh, willing to pay or invest into open source maintaining or open source funding. So it's probably luck. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's also John that he did a good job in going to companies and asking them for fun- funding us and sponsoring us. And it's also the visibility the companies get from also they are sponsors and they are good citizens and also the it's like companies need more workers and it's difficult. And the last time it got more difficult to get good uh, employees. And so it's also a good advertisement for getting employees for companies. So it's for us, it was basically good timing and luck. And probably also we did a good job in, in our product. But mm-hmm. I think it was much luck and John. So when you say Sean, that's Sean Larkin. We've had him on the show. We'll yeah. put that old episode in the show notes. It's probably a couple of years ago now. 233. Even back then, he was relentlessly enthusiastic yeah. about Webpack. And I even would joke that if you can't figure out your Webpack config, just complain about it on Twitter and Sean Larkin will Magically swoop appear. in and, and <laughs> fix it for you. Yeah. And that was 2016, December 2016. Yeah, he somewhat, he may have invented like the, he, if you look at the core team on your guys' uh, GitHub, Yourself, Johannes Ewald, who's on loaders and plugins. You have Keith Kluskins or Kluskins on development, and then Sean Larkin on public relations. And I think back then it is pretty avant-garde for Sean to be like a PR person for an open source project. And like you said, he convinced a lot of these companies to to bring money to the table. Where did Sean come from? How did you get him on the team? Did he drop <laughs> out of the sky? Did you convince him that Webpack was the bomb? Like. How did you get Sean involved? Yeah, I think he basically joined by itself. So it's not that we go to him. So it's more we didn't, he wasn't organized at this time when John joined and he thought we did a good job on this product on Webpack and he used it at his, at his company. And mm-hmm. so it's very uh, come to us and say that we want to get us funded and want to get us organized. And so at this time, we also started, so maybe because of John, we started to organize ourselves as, as a core team. Like we had no core team of organization stuff like that before. But at this time, we make this move to Open Collective, move, move the move to JS Foundation and organize this core team and yeah, so, so basically made the all uh, management stuff and he just joined by himself. Uh, so not that we That's hired so him for anything. <laughs> you didn't like put a Craigslist post out there. We need a we need an evangelist for Webpack. We, yeah. <laughs> put it on Craigslist. It's about how he joined himself too. And it just uh, he saw the ingredients for a great recipe and made it a meal. 
I like that. You like that? I do. Well played. Well played, sir. So we talk about the challenges of having arrived financially and yet and still having more people who aren't paid full time and lots of contributors involved. And we, we started getting a little bit into the money situation. And it sounds like every month you just kind of decide how to parcel out the current budget. Has there been struggles on deciding how the team allocates the funds? Is it uh, just yourself that does that? Is it the core team that all gets together and says, you know, Tobias gets 10 grand this month and we're going to put five grand towards conferences? Or like, how does that work or not work? So technically the core team decides it, but on practice, uh, I decided and basically didn't change anything last year about funding. It's more like I have a tool which extracts all the contributions from GitHub and kind of value the contributions by time and multiplied my money factors. And it's mostly automated process that um, puts some value in contributions of GitHub and then you are paid with this kind of amount of money on on collective. It's just a threshold, but um, if you are over the threshold, then I send you an email and to get some information about you get 2,000 points and you can convert it to $2,000 on uh, on collective by sending an expense and basically do and I think it's kind of like 10 to 20 people per month that get money and there's also some kind of factoring if it's the lower money it was very low on money in the last year end of the last year then there's a factor which all the money received by contributors is multiplied by a lower factor than Everybody gets less if they have less money and everybody gets normal amount if they have enough money. So currently we have enough money so everybody gets the full amount. (laughs) Is it written down somewhere like what your salary is? Is it that organized or is it sort of like loose in that regard? I'm not uh, and it's pretty loose because um, the tool is not open source because I'm afraid that it's would be usable if you know how the algorithms works and which kind mm-hmm. of contributions you have to spend to get more amount of money. Yeah. So it's kind of game it. Kind of. Yeah, you could game it. Hidden away or secret. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think it's the most fair way if it's automated and nobody decides how much to get. And I think th- there was only a very few complaints in the last years about. I get too low, too few mm-hmm. money or so. So it's, I, I think it's kind of working and I hope people don't see it like, um, I want to work for Webpack because I get money. I hope nobody want to contribute because of the money, because if you have no sponsors, you don't get money. So you can't rely on this money. And I always recommend to not rely on the money of Webpack. It's more like, I want to declare it more like an, in, extra benefit, extra incentives you get out and you should be happy that you get it and don't um, demand for for the money or so. I never advise anybody to get into open source for the money. <laughs> There's lots of good reasons to do open source. Money is not a good reason. As developers, we have very marketable skills. Uh, open source is not a place to go if you're trying to get rich quick or slow, but there's a lot of good reasons to be involved. So. Right. You could though. The opportunities there just just don't go there for those reasons. You could, but they're just easier. They're just easier paths to that end. Like if that's your end, there's better means. That's all. Right. Gotcha. 
Tobias, can you speak to, I guess, your longevity with Open Collective? Because we referenced episode 233 with Sean Larkin way back in December 2016, and that was quite a while ago. And that was a big part of that conversation or a large part around the sustainability side of it was the efforts made to build your community within Open Collective. And even to this day, you're using it. It allows mm-hmm. you to, you know, accept, I forget what the term is, but I guess it's contributions for expenses. So it, it kind of gives you this framework, this paying framework, this, you know, how you deal with finances and money and budget and contributors on a financial side. What's your experience with Open Collective? How has that worked out for you? I suppose good, but what are the mechanics of that and how does that Still work day to day? It's working pretty good. They uh, t- care about all this um, getting companies, making orders for companies, getting bills or getting expenses for companies getting contracts for larger companies. So it's kind of, it's a difficult for a company to pay open source software because, yeah, say, it's not the process like uh, donating something. It's not a process that companies know about a lot. So it's more like, um, from official side of, it's like the company has a contract with Open Collective and they start paying the bills of Open Collective kind of. This is from the view of the company. And from our view, it's, and they doing all the work with the company related communication for us. And we have the money and we can send in expenses. So kind of we are working. Also the contributor is working for Open Collective on technical base and they are sending expenses and Open Collective pay the expenses from the contributor. It's like pretty easy from, from contributor side and I think it's also pretty easy from company side because they're doing a lot of stuff to enable companies to pay to open source. So on Open Collective, the expense distribution is necessarily open. It's transparent. Yeah. Has that ever caused problems or do you have concern about the amount of money that you're being paid being public information for anybody to see? <laughs> I don't have <laughs> problems with that. I don't <laughs> Apparently not. I mean, you're doing it. You do, yeah. I wonder if you ever, you know, you, you value that privacy or not. It would have been funny if he was like, what? All that's public? <laughs> like, oh, shoot. <laughs> he hangs up. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a problem for contributors or for me and that it's public. And I don't think so many people look it up what I earn or what the contributors earn and do statistics no. about it. Technically, you can download all the contribution, all the pay- payouts to contributors and all the pays by sponsors as a CSV t- table and make some bad stuff with it. But I don't think it's abused or anybody cares about how much the contributors earn. It's not that we are earning so much that you should have problems with that. So it's Sure. No. It's just a matter of privacy. Are you guys solely on Open Collective or do you also do Patreon or any other ways that people can support you? I also started to make some GitHub sponsors profile for myself or like mm-hmm. non webpack related stuff or if you want to just give me money personally or whatever to make something else. But it's not that I get a lot of money there. And Open Collective also recently joined with GitHub sponsors, so you can make a GitHub sponsors profile which redirects to or kind of redirects the money to Open Collective. And we don't have Patreon. I tried it, but it doesn't work really well. So 
I also think it's more beneficial to have only a single platform. It's more simple and yeah. one place to send yeah. people. Seems diversity in, on the front of ways you can sustain a project or ways you can give would be competing interests, meaning that it would be difficult to like funnel everyone to a place to have a flow to either contribute and get paid, file an expense, etc. It's just it seems like it'd be a lot of uh, of work. And I was actually excited to see that news with Open Collective and GitHub because with GitHub sponsors because in the current state of GitHub sponsors, you would have to have a company. And by way of what Open Collective has always been about, has been about making it so that the world can sort of self-organize sans company so that they can be sort of the... The, um, the legal entity. Yeah, the legal entity, the home of record, I think is what they call it when it comes to a nonprofit case. Plus, if you're seeking dollars from people and you wanted to make those contributions tax deductible, at least in the United States, then a 501c3 organization, which they provide, makes that more possible. So it's interesting to hear you say that you've also got to get up sponsors profile. Is that connected them back to Open Clip, or is that just... Yeah, yeah that's the idea. That, okay. Um, Open Collective is the fiscal or legal entity behind GitHub sponsors, which can receive the money. This episode is brought to you by Tidelift, managed open source, backed by maintainers. Save time and reduce risk with a Tidelift subscription. Manage your application's dependencies covering millions of open source projects across JavaScript, Python, Java, PHP, Ruby, .NET, and more. Subscriptions include security updates, licensing verification and indemnification, maintenance and code improvement, package selection and version guidance, roadmap input, and more. The bottom line is this. You get all the capabilities you expect from commercial software, but for all of the key open source software that you're already using and depending on. Tidelift works with GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, and more. They support every cloud platform out there. And of course, you can try it absolutely free. Start your free trial today at tidelift.com. You've been working on Webpack full-time for a while now. Just curious what your average work day looks like. Is there an average work day? I think so, yeah. I usually check issues at the day and kind of try to answer all the issues. And then I usually check the PRs on Webpack. I don't have enabled GitHub notifications or emails, so I, all the work I do, I only try to make it when I request it, so it's like a pull system, like I, I pull the work from the issues, I pull the work from the pull requests, and basically reviewing pull requests, and also trying to finish pull requests if they are in good shape, and sometimes I do work myself, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's really most, most time I spend like reviewing pull requests, or finishing pull requests, mm-hmm. because in most cases, it's not that the pull request is in a good shape, but it's not like it's super finished that I could instantly merge it. And I don't want to request too many nitpicks from the people. So it's often that I finish the pull request myself, like doing pinup, doing like minor stuff that fits better in the, the whole system and so. And 
there's a lot of work involved in, in really finishing pull requests and want to do that. And also doing some of my own, own pull requests and sometimes I got, get, get distracted from my own work and to my own work and don't do issues in pull requests. It's more like randomly choosing like what I do. You also have a project board and sometimes I select stuff from there. Mm. So looking at the repo right now, there's 369 open issues, <laughs> 81 open pull requests. I'm just curious if this is like a good place for you or do you feel like you're behind? Are you ahead of normal? What's your normal <laughs> queue look like? Yeah, we don't really close issues or pull requests. So it's like most issues stay open until the, the bot is closing them. So it's not really that we really are behind closing issues. It's so like I only look at the first page at first page of the issues and do the stuff related to them and issues never get closed because people don't close issues if there's problems with source. But sometimes they don't close them so it's Sure. I, I can just see Jared twinging tweaking because he's a completionist and, and you're like you're literally it's like uh pulling his fingernails off of his hand or something like that. Like you're really hurting him I could tell. Just leaving stuff open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like every open issue for me is like a little another layer of stress. Yeah. And not for me, not for me. <laughs> That's good. It's more That's like uh, so so issue uh, GitHub um, makes a blue dot or blue line before issues if you don't have read them. So it's like unread issues, I click on unread issues and then I do the stuff in and if no issue is unread, then I'm fine. It's working. Mm. You mentioned you have a bot too that's closing things, is that right? Did you say yeah. a bot closes the issues that they need closed? Yeah, so we have a webpack bot and it's closing after three months inactivity and if people mm. put a lot of comments on the so if basically the, the bot wants you two weeks in advance that the issue is soon closed and um, if somebody comments at this time then the issue stay open so it's also a good factor to if the issue is open longer and don't get closed by the bot then really are, people are really behind the issue and it's really important so also good to see that only the important issues stay open and if nobody is mm -hmm. interested in the issue and it's not yet it wasn't fixed then but is closing it and yeah, if no, no yeah, I, I think Webpack has many issues. There are bugs, there are edge cases and the huge configuration comes with a lot of edge cases, the combination of whatever can, doesn't work. So if some people write issues about really edge casey stuff and never get fixed and they are not behind pushing this issue and, and then it's probably don't get fixed. So it's, okay. So what you're saying is you like the plus one or the, what's the uh, repin? What's the thing people say in, in issue comments where they they bubble it back up? What's that again? Ping bump. or something? <laughs> bump. Bump. Yeah, bump. I should have known that. So you're an advocate for that then. You're, you're an advocate for plus one or bumping. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what rebubbles it back up to you. Yeah, so it's especially what prevents the bot from closing the issue. Yeah. All right. So what we're doing is we're teaching users out there how to game the Webpack open issue system. <laughs> is uh, Periodically bump your issues, folks. Otherwise, it, uh, It's better if you close the issue and reopen new issues and 
It's a stuff. Oh, even better. These are, <laughs> these, are, these are pro tips right here. How to get help on Webpack. Close and reopen. So there's maintenance, which we're talking about, and then there's progress. Yeah. And as the core developer, right, one of the four, and then one's a PR person, so you have a few people on the core team pushing the progress forward, pushing Webpack forward. How do you decide when you're going to maintain and when you're going to make progress? <laughs> so I try to uh, maintain uh, to have all no unread issues on unread pull requests. So it's basically the basic maintenance. And I also try to fix bugs reported as soon as possible. So it's, it's, but it's not that often that there's a bug which can easily be fixed. And, but it's the basic maintenance I always do. And after that, it's like more like what I have, um, have fun to do. It's sometimes I want to do progress, do some innovation stuff, yeah. make some cool new feature or whatever. And sometimes I have fun making the pull request somebody do and maintaining, fixing stuff and stuff like that and reorganizing team. Most, most maintenance is refactoring and cleaning up. So that most bugs need some refactoring or like reorganization and cleanup. And that's this part. I, it's that what's fun and also often do that. But we also have um, contributors who want to push the progress. And, and so I think most progress um, or most new features or most uh, progress for Webpack is done by contributors. So we have a project board and people can look up, do some progress, make some, uh, pick some card and do some progress and make a pull request. And then it's like most often I finish the pull request, but it's also kind of making progress when I finish a pull request, which is some feature from the project board, which is pushing Webpack forward. Right. Kind of mood-driven development. You yeah. know, what am I going to move? Yeah, that's, that's a good part of close some stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Which is interesting too, because some will thrive on a regimented day, and it seems like the way you optimize your day, Tobias, is essentially at the whim of what issues or pull requests wait for you, and whether or not you might be or might not be inspired to sort of resist that temptation to deal with issues or pull requests and kind of dream a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, but also most progress comes from issues. So there are some right. issues. Yeah. Has an idea about a feature, has some problems that mm-hmm. that inspire me to make this feature, make this improvement. So it's. I also think that progress comes from issues. So issue, also writing issues and you know, contributors that write issues, which are also contributors kind of, um, that are the inspiration for new features and for the direction of that. Thing. So it's, yeah. So anyone out there that's on Twitter or doing these, you know, these criticisms, as Jared mentioned earlier, these memes, instead of complaining or memeing, if that's a thing, maybe they should just hang out in issues and, and try to drive progress. Because if, if I'm hearing you correctly, then that means that the feedback from the community is critical to the progress of Webpack because it's a significant driving force of it. Well, as uh, evidence of that, the 369 open issues, only 27 of those are bugs. So you have a bug label. And so we're kind of talking about bugs versus progress, you know, fixing things versus creating new things. And so many, many of those open issues 
and I assume many of which are also pull requests, are, like Tobias says, they're not maintaining the status quo. They're just issues that happen to be pushing progress forward. Yeah. So basically because I prioritize bugs, so it's kind of bugs annoy me, so it's kind of I want to make Webpack as good as possible and want to ensure high quality and stability for Webpack because I think stability and bug freeness is one of Webpack's main feature compared to computers, competitors. And so I really prioritize bugs and really want to get rid of them. And if bugs are reported, I, I usually fix them within days. Or so. so hack number two, how to get your issue addressed is put the bug label on it. Even if it happens to be a feature, just throw a <laughs> bug on there. Tobias is going to give it at least two looks. Yeah, yeah but, but uh, if, you, <laughs> if you write issues, you can't decide the latest. Only maintainers can decide the latest. Ah, uh-huh. you guys Not have your guards. You can up. decide it's a bug. Take it back, Jared. Take it back. I, I take it back. I take it back. But you can write it's a bug. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned competitors, and there's been lots of them that popped up over the years. Pika, Parcel, ES builds a new one that's like a Go bundler built in go it's not it doesn't bundle go but it's supposed to be really fast i'm sure there's many others do you pay attention to other bundlers that show up on the scene yeah sure are you, <laughs> you cherry picking features are you looking for inspiration are you ever felt threatened by a particular bundler that's launched yeah i mean we usually steal features from computers <laughs> that's nice it's also a really good inspiration that a computer uh, decided to make some own product because most Often they do it because they want to have some special feature. Like, in example, Rollup. Rollup was created to make some ES module first approach and make some super special optimizations which are related to ECMAScript modules. And we also took this feature and, and integrated it into Webpack. It's not that easy to integrate features from competitors because we also have to be compatible to all existing features, which makes it sometimes more involved, more difficult, to more edge cases to integrate features from competitors. But we try our best to, to get the ideas from, from competitors and integrate them, like roll-up inspirators to better ECMAScript uh, integration parcel for easier configuration and for whatever, for speed. And yeah, it's, it's, but it's, it's most often it's a trade-off to, you can make a really special bundler which focus on something we can't focus on because we have a broader user base, more features, and it's more more configurability, more extensibility, and so it's it's not often that easy to to just copy the features from competitors. But we try to to try our best to and um, get all the cool features from competitors too. It's like it's open source, so it's more the also the mentality of open source to share ideas. And I also think if you're doing new bundles, you're also copying most features from Webpack, and it's my like exchanging features. And uh, in the end, the user benefits if all fe- all tools have the same feature set or similar feature set, or at least share a common feature set which can work cross both cross bundle and so. If someone is listening to this that happens to be considering a competitor or a maintainer of a competitor, what would you say to them in terms of of collaboration? Is it something where 
there's sort of like a web pack guild of sorts where you, you sort of have this build pack, you know, build step you know, union, so to speak, or collective where you're sharing knowledge and sort of leveling each other up and you can help them optimize their things. And maybe there's a place for their tool and a place for your tool as well that while well, you're competitors, you don't have to be bloodthirsty competitors. You could be collaborative. Yes. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah, if somebody have new ideas and want to do some cool stuff, then you can write an issue and we can discuss this. And we also have a, a Slack channel where we can chat with each other and make share ideas. And also, um, I often see that people don't want to contribute to Webpack because it's too complicated and they start a new bundler because they it's easier to uh, create a new bundler with the feature, the special ideas, new ideas, the features they want. And yes, it's true. And but uh, I hope that on long term that people write a prototype and uh, on bundler is a kind of prototype and then on long term want to invest into integrating this into Webpack. But I can't force anybody to contribute to Webpack or to integrate to Webpack and Often it's not possible if you work with a bundle and go, then it's very difficult to integrate it into Webpack. And yeah, so it's yeah. kind of difficult. I'm curious, taking a sidestep, I guess, to a overarching theme, which often happens to people who are obsessed with their work or really into what they do. It seems like you're really into what you do. Clearly, you've made a, a very purposeful career path towards open source, towards Webpack, and you're committed to it. Burnout often happens whenever you're in that kind of state. Sometimes it's you excel and there's no burnout, but how do you sort of maintain, I suppose, your maybe your experience burnout? So share with us maybe your aspects on burnout if you're have ever been near to it. That people burn out on open source and and so far I'm not I'm happy and <laughs> I don't think I'm burning out, but I also have bit afraid that that may happen and yeah i i'm not sure yeah i hope to that this doesn't happen so it's kind of uh, yeah one antidote we've seen to burnout is having some sort of analog some sort of uh afk kind of thing like when you're not at the keyboard when you're not working when you're not in issues or pull requests you're not coding you know what is it what's your pastime you have a family so maybe that's it but Share with us maybe what you may purposefully do or uh, hap- by happenstance do as an antidote to burnout. So basically in my free time, uh, I, I spend most of the time webpack and in my free time, I basically uh, have a family. I have two small ch- childs. One is one year, one is the other is two years, maybe three. Mm-hmm. So it's really a lot of work with family and uh, children and uh yeah, so it's kind of family is my alternative to working. Well, Tobias, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate all the work that you put in and really the trailblazing that you've done on Webpack uh, along with Sean and the team. Congratulations on all your success and uh, hope for future success as well. We just really appreciate what you've been up to and sitting down with us and telling us about it. Yeah. Thank you you for tuning in to our Maintainer Spotlight series. Hey, if you appreciate Webpack and the work Tobias has been putting in over the years, here's what to do. 
pop open your show notes, follow the Discuss on Changelog News link, and leave a comment on the episode page. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. I once again want to thank Tobias Coppers for joining us on the show. This episode was brought to you by our friends at Tidelift. They are all about paying the maintainers. It was hosted by Adam Stakoviak and myself, Jared Santo. We get our beats farm fresh from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and we're brought to you by awesome sponsors. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and Real Bar for helping us do what we do. That's all for now. We'll talk to you again next time. Thank you.